Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Our best ever Sky Black Friday offer is here. Get Sky Q with the TV you love all in one place. And ultra-fast Sky Broadband for our best Wi-Fi all around your home. Plus, you can choose from Sky Sports or Sky Cinema. All for just €55 a month for 12 months. Don't miss Sky's best ever Black Friday offer. Just search Sky Black Friday. New customers only. Availability subject to location. Minimum term and further terms apply. For more info, see sky.ie slash speeds. Offer ends November 30th. Hello and welcome back to the sixth bonus episode of The Storyteller Murder Most Foul. I'm Isla Traquair. I'm sorry, another bombshell and just when you thought it was all wrapped up. But I'm excited for you to hear the trial episode when all these people that you've been hearing from throughout the series finally come together under one roof at the High Court in Aberdeen. So in that episode, we heard an incredibly honest and frank account from defence agent Shane Campbell, and I applaud him for his candour. There's a lot more to come from him, including his personal reflections on the case and his former client. Later in this episode, I'm going to go through the indictment in detail so that you can learn exactly what 20-year-old Pamela Gurley was facing when she stepped into the dock late in February the year 2000. Now, following Pamela's arrest on October the 20th, 1999, she's in remand. The press have gone silent and Melanie's family have taken little comfort from the arrest, which isn't helped by the fact that the defence team did opt for their own post-mortem. Susan Patrick and her family had to wait another 10 days before they could finally hold Melanie's funeral. Sadly, this meant other family members didn't get to see her body to pay their respects, despite the best efforts of pathologist Dr James Grieve. Oh, he's lovely. He's a really lovely man. I remember saying just my mum and him would like to have liked to see him and he said it would be as quick as possible and try his best to see if he could get get her um, through. But then, and I, <laughs> I think I said be nice. Stupid thing to say, but um, it did, it did. But it turned out we didn't, and because um, their side wouldn't believe what he said, so they had to do another postmortem, and it's like three times. The defence <laughs> yeah. wanted no, another postmortem. Yeah. So we d- that was in, she died in the ninth, was mm. it? Didn't get her back. The funeral wasn't until um, 30th, 31st, was it? Must have been the 30th, because... I remember going home for the f- funeral tea and um, Darren came through with this huge pumpkin and he says, oh, God. He says, do you think Melanie would mind <laughs> if we did this? And I thought, oh, God. So you just carry on. Can you just, yeah. He was a five-year-old boy who wanted <laughs> yeah. to have Halloween. Yeah. And he says, do you think? Because we left it. Oh, oh darling. We left it, so... We brought him up to try and be affected by it. Mm-hmm. 
but that's what it's every time I work in a shop and every time you see these pumpkins I think oh god mm. <laughs> got these horrible memories yeah, attached to difficult. it I'm sorry so but that's oh gosh yeah. and that must have been hard having to wait oh. <laughs> so long to actually have the funeral by which point well we'll get onto that but which point they they had then caught the person but yeah. you were having to wait it's like um, was it like seven nine days or something like that the following Tuesday or something and um, I mind we were in the kitchen and um, liaison officers were there and they said oh it says that's, they've got somebody and I was really weird but I didn't care I didn't care who it was because I knew I was never going to get justice for it, I was interested okay, I, I wasn't care, I thought oh they told me before I said and I said I don't care. That sounds really weird because you should care, but I didn't because whoever it was wouldn't have got justice for that. I wouldn't have got... Well, whoever it was, the identity of the person isn't going to bring your daughter back. No, no. I can understand that. They were obviously pleased someone was caught, but with no apparent motive and the sentencing capabilities in Scotland at that time, the family knew what was likely to be on the cards. Now, one thing I didn't know, and of course I wouldn't have known at the time, is that the family were already grieving for a loss earlier in the year. A little boy, 20 weeks into pregnancy. I didn't know this until my interview with Susan, and it broke my heart. And the me, I lost a baby boy. I had a, I had oh, a year. Oh, God. Hold so on, you mean the, the, the after? No, before. Okay, on that year. So you'd been expecting lost a miscarriage. Yeah, in May. Oh, I'm and then sorry. October, when we went away, I was never right from that. I was never, ever right from that. And I went to doctor before I went to Spain, to whatever, yeah. Magaluf. And she she says, well, we'll really speak about it when... Because I just couldn't get over that. I was off work for ages. So that's horrendous. May I ask how um, far on you were when I you... wasn't that far on, but I had to deliver them. You get, you've got, and you knew. And then Melanie came. She was with me. She came to see him, and she was with me then. So as you heard that holiday to Spain, the holiday that got interrupted one day in for them to be told that Melanie's body was found was in fact the trip that she was going on to try and recover from her grief from losing a baby. Just absolutely devastating. So the funeral was very difficult for all family and friends and Claire Law, who we've heard from before, that's Melanie's friend and colleague, she actually has a diary entry from that day. It was so busy, it was such a big funeral, yeah, yeah. I even wrote down what I wore and I write everything in my diaries. <laughs> Terrible. Really? <laughs> Do you have that part of the diary to read? It'd be quite interesting to see. This is my diary entry for um, the day of Melanie's funeral. Um, I wore a black black trousers, a black cardigan and a new grey blouse. I met my mum and my granda at the shop. We were one of the first to arrive. Two nuns came and sat in the row in front with about three other people, I presume from Nazareth House. That's funny. One nearly fell. <laughs> Well, that's the thing you remember. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing Melanie would have laughed at that. Definitely. So I'm sorry, but she yeah, would have. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Melanie's cousin, I think, Keith, did a speech. It was beautiful. It was written by Susan. It was describing her to a T. Um, as they were carrying her coffin out, they played the Beatles song, Imagine. As soon as they were taking the coffin out of the church, as soon as I saw Kevin, her brother's face, that's when I got upset. My mum got upset as well, as Imagine was the last record my dad bought for my mum, because my dad died when I was seven. Um, there was loads of flowers on um, one in the shape of a cat from her gran and one with Mel on it. Um, mine were like purple lilies, but not very nice because I didn't like lilies. <laughs> um, that's about it, I think, yeah. So you can see why this is a difficult time of year for Susan and the other loved ones of Melanie. The anniversary of her death then there's the anniversary of her funeral coinciding with Halloween. It's her birthday at the beginning of November, it was just last week. And then of course the Christmas, the build up to Christmas which she had that year without her daughter. And adding to that, there was the millennium. People had been excited and looking forward to the turn of the century, this was a big deal. But there was nothing for this family to look forward to. But what they were waiting for was the trial. So I promised I would read you the indictment. This is basically the charges that Pamela was facing. So here we go. Pamela Ann Gurley, born the 10th of September 1979, prisoner in the prison of Aberdeen. You are indicted at the instance of the Right Honourable Lord Hardy, Her Majesty's Advocate, and the charges against you are that... On the 9th of October 1999 at Flat 3, 188 Great Western Road, Aberdeen, you did assault Melanie Sturton, residing there, repeatedly strike her on the head and body with a knife, rob her of two keys, a keyring, two bank cards, a hold-all and contents of a bag, a purse, a purse case, a driving licence, a birth certificate, a compact disc player, a jewellery box, a quantity of jewellery, vouchers, footwear, a clock, an umbrella, a sharpener, three watches, a quantity of cosmetics and toiletries, a mirror, three cards, personal papers, a book of matches, five pieces of casing, and you did murder her. There are two other charges. The first relates to her using Melanie's bank card on October the 9th and withdrawing £10, and she pleaded guilty to that. And she also admitted being concerned in the supply of cannabis resin um, in Aberdeen between July 99 and October 99. Let's just consider that list again. Now, obviously, with uh, Chris Gannicliffe, the forensic scientist, we did touch on some of the items that had been stolen. But when you when you hear the list like that and items such as a pencil sharpener and a book of matches and there was also a, a, I think there was a hair coupon a moose voucher to get like 50 pence off these are utterly utterly worthless items there was a teletubby keyring which meant something to Melanie but would be worthless to anyone else I know some of the things there was a big pot a heavy pot um, just pennies and things that Piggy was bank. yeah and then 
but all the earrings that I've got, because I've got a thing, I had a thing about earrings, and Melanie liked my jewellery, so there was like, oh, when I went to see it, now this police pair and placement had to put, double up these earrings together, and then there was loads of them. So all that had been taken for the other room, so she'd, mm. she'd killed her, covered her, Ah, what out of the room and then pinch stuff out of there. How would you do that? When you read the, the list, and I think it was when she first appeared, she'd been charged and first appeared in court. When you read all those things, but they're, they were little personal things, though, that you're, that were your daughters. How, how was that to read that? Just, like, s- stupid things. Like, st- how would you kill somebody for a Marcus Spen- uh, and Spencer voucher she got for her granny? It's a horrible irony, the voucher being a gift to Melanie from her grandmother, only to be used by Pamela Gourley to buy her own grandmother a vase as a birthday gift. Obviously, Pamela did not contest this as she was shopping with her parents at the time, and the voucher code was traced back to the purchaser. But she is now denying murdering Melanie. And you'll hear her version of events in the next episode. But first, I'll set the scene for you in preparation. Former journalist Alison Shaw and defence agent Shane Campbell will back me up in describing the courtroom as being a little unusual. It was far more ornate and grandiose than you might expect, with a deep red carpet, gold leaf detailing on the walls and ornate cornicing. Uh, Courtroom 6, I can't remember what that was originally used for, but they did reinstate the original wallpaper and somebody actually described it, I think it was like a tart's boudoir when it was first reinstated because it was all gold leaf and uh, it was was quite pale, it was quite a pale green frieze with a lot of um, fancy gold, Yeah. yeah, it just, it's not my idea of a courtroom. No, court six is, it is both physically and, I suppose, in, in many other ways, quite distinct and separate from the other courts. Uh, and it is much more grandiose and ornate uh, in terms uh, of uh, its decor than any of the other normal sheriff courts within the building would be. It wouldn't be as big, for example, as, as Court 1 in the Sheriff Court, but it is still um, reasonably sized. Um, there would be room for... I suspect maybe 50 or so members of the the public in the seats directly behind the dock and then um, to the right of the dock as you're looking towards the judge you have the jury um, and the 15 seats uh, for the jurors. Uh, Obviously we're then uh, sitting in the well of the court um, directly in front of the clerk and the high court judge. Um, but it's a reasonable, uh, yeah, reasonably sized mm-hmm. court. So hopefully you have a clearer picture in your mind of Court 6 of the High Court in Aberdeen and you can take a seat with us at the trial and hear the fascinating twists and turns in the next episode of The Storyteller, Murder Most Foul. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode. If you enjoy this podcast, then please go and rate and review on iTunes. I read them all and I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do that. It does make a difference. There's more information on the case on social media, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.
Our best ever Sky Black Friday offer is here. Get Sky Q with the TV you love all in one place. And ultra-fast Sky Broadband for our best Wi-Fi all around your home. Plus, you can choose from Sky Sports or Sky Cinema. All for just €55 a month for 12 months. Don't miss Sky's best ever Black Friday offer. Just search Sky Black Friday. New customers only. Availability subject to location. Minimum term and further terms apply. For more info, see sky.ie slash speeds. Offer ends November 30th.